Good morning. morning. Welcome. If you're new here among us, my name is Gene. I serve here at C3 Church as your lead pastor. And if you've been in church for a long time, you may be thinking, that's weird. (laughs) Because usually, the Sunday after Christmas, you get the youth pastor. That's usually, <laughs> that's usually what happens, and that joke is lost on you if you haven't been in church <laughs> for a long time. It's because people celebrate Christmas, and they say, we got it in. <laughs> and then they don't come to church on Sunday. But this is exactly where you should be <laughs> on Sunday, especially during the Christmas season, correct? Yeah. Amen. So you can just rebuke everybody you didn't see in church next Sunday. Don't, please, (laughs) don't do that. They are. The coffee was great. It's still Christmas, right? Every day should be Christmas, shouldn't it? So Merry Christmas. Yes, you have the right attitude. You know, it seems as if, it seems as if there's this battle cry right around Christmas time, right after Thanksgiving. Christians adopt this battle cry all of a sudden. Keep Christ in Christmas. That's the battle cry. You see it on social media. People post it on Facebook, the Instagram, whatever else you post on. Keep Christ in Christmas. You see it on bumper stickers. Keep Christ in Christmas. It's almost like Christians get angry about it. Keep Christ. You stole Christmas from me, and I get it. Maybe it feels like that sometimes. It's become highly commercialized. So... I challenged people on Christmas Eve about that. It seems like if we're adopting that attitude and we're seeing Christmas through that lens, really seeing it that way, well, it seems like a lot of Christians show up to Jesus' birthday party with a present for themselves, or lots of them, if we're thinking about it correctly, if that's really our battle cry. Doesn't it seem that way? Does it seem a little backwards? How do you give Jesus a present? Generosity. I told you, Christmas Eve. What you do to the least of these, that you do to me. Generosity, love. That's how you give Jesus a birthday present. So let's play the tape on it. I'm going to play this out for you guys. It's going to get uncomfortable, but that's okay. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I brought a friend today, and Pastor Gene's going to say crazy things again. You should have warned them. (laughs) It's going to happen here. So let's play the tape. Let's say you have the courage of your convictions, and you're going to return all your your birthday, your birthday presents, your Christmas presents. You're going to return them. You're going to take the money after you return them, and you're going to give it to the poor, just like Jesus said, without telling anyone, like Jesus said. Don't tell anybody. Don't post it on social media. Nothing. Just you and the Lord. So let's see what happens. All right, so we're getting there. We go to the store, the mall. We park our car. Get out of the car. And you got the bumper sticker. Keep Christ in Christmas. And somebody walks by you and says, why? What? Well, because. No, I asked you, Why? Why? Can you answer that question? Maybe they take it a step further. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe any of this? Why do you celebrate it? 
What are you going to say? Think about it for a second. Now, here's the interesting thing about Christians, and maybe you've experienced this around the holiday dinner table. You had conversations. I bet you had conversations about politics or what's going on politically in the world. Just guessing. It's just, just a wild guess. Or maybe sports. Now, in those conversations, let's say politics, I bet you had a whole lot to say. I bet you were able to articulate why it was that you're on one side of the aisle or on the other side of the aisle. So whatever, let's say you're a Republican, and I bet you can articulate to people why it is that you believe that. Or if you're a Democrat, you can articulate why it is that you believe that. And I bet you're pretty good at arguing about it with other people too. Christians are quite capable of making a defense for what they believe politically. I see it a lot. What about sports? But you have no problem defending your favorite sports team. I see fantasy football things. I don't even know how it works. But you're into it. You know the player's stats. You have a lot of information. A lot. You remember a lot of numbers, batting averages, whatever it is. People are really good about this, and you have no problem defending your position. You're quite capable. Congratulations. Christians are good at that. We tend to know a whole lot about what is really important to us, and we have no problem telling other people. Christians are called to be able to make a defense for what it is that they believe. Let me show you. First Peter, the context here is suffering as a Christian. They're not being told to wear like a mask. <laughs> They're being burned alive. That's the context here. Suffer with joy, Peter says. You're going to heaven. But you also represent Jesus in this. People are going to see the way you respond to this torture, and then it's going to make them think. That's what happened with the martyrs. Like, what? This person loved me on my way out, even though I was killing them? I want to know about this, Jesus. And it worked. All these persecutions for years, it worked. It brought a lot of people to Christ. So in that context, this is what is said, 1 Peter 3.13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. You're commanded. This is a church-wide letter. It's to everybody in the church. It could be to the church today. Always be ready. In the Greek, apologia, it's to make a defense so really, really good translation. Always be ready to make a defense for what it is that you believe. Apologetics, it's called. Fancy name. But a lot of people don't realize that all Christians are called to this. We looked at the wisdom of Solomon and different wisdom books. And if you understand what real baptism into Christianity is, you know that you're baptized in water, and the Holy Spirit. 
That should cause us all to be wise, don't you think? If God is in us and we're a temple of God, do you suppose that God is stupid? No. So that's what confuses me when a lot of Christians come up to me and they say, that was confusing. I didn't understand that. It was complicated. Yeah, but we're called to understand it. Read Hebrews 5 and 6. The author or preacher there gets very frustrated with his audience. You should be teachers by now, especially if you have the Holy Spirit in you. It should be guiding you into wisdom, and we should be able to explain this. When we can't, and we do, I don't know, it's not very convincing, is it? No, but you just told me everything, like the political history, the Constitution, even though you never read it, but you told me all about it. You're very enthusiastic about that. But this Jesus that you say you believe in, I don't know. Now, remember, David from Mission India came. Really good sermon. Really good ministry. And he told you guys something. The correct answer is not, go ask Pastor Gene. That would be the equivalent of, let's say, whatever you are, your political affiliation, why do you vote? I don't know. I just go and vote, and I like circle in the little Scantron forms randomly. Ask my congressperson. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. It's kind of like negligence, isn't it? But here, I think the church, if we're being very honest, suffers from eternal negligence. Can't explain it. So here's what we're going to do. We're in a season of growth and understanding. I am going to equip you today. I'm going to give you a little bit of an elevator speech, so to speak. If you don't know what that is, it's the time it takes from an elevator for you to go up in an elevator. You explain it, but a little longer than that. So let's say it's like a 200-story building. <laughs> That's what we're going to do today. So let's say someone asks you, why? Let me get you a cup of coffee or lunch. Come on. Let me explain it to you. Let's sit down. Break bread with that person. Pay for it. Show them you love them. It's always the best thing to do. This information is always better received when you show someone you love them. Here's the thing. The whole, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, does not work anymore. We're not in a Judeo-Christian country any longer. Why? Well, my dad believed. Kids are being indoctrinated at a really early age. If you know my wife's story, you know she was a school teacher in New York. It's hard to be a school teacher there. You got to get your master's degree in everything. Secondary education, history teacher. She quit after about eight years or so. Why? One, the parents. They expect you to raise their kids for them, even though you're just a history teacher. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But then, the kid can't do any wrong. They can't do anything wrong. <laughs> so you're always wrong. It's your fault and I pay your salary. Then some teachers go, okay, I'll raise your kids. So you have the science teacher teaching them about politics. And you have the math teacher teaching them about religion. That's what happens at a very early age. This was sixth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, middle school. Then it doesn't change. It goes right through high school indoctrinating them. Jesus isn't real, telling them all kinds of things. They get to college. 
Doesn't change. The professor's there. Same thing. They don't stay in their lane. They go way outside their lane. Start teaching about things that really, they're not experts in. And only at a postgraduate level do you start learning the truth about things. She was like, hey, <laughs> this was wrong. I was lied to this whole time. Paid a lot of money for it, too. But that's what's happening. So it doesn't work. Young people think they know everything because my professor told me so. So who are you? Some dumb Christian who believes in this fake God. And that's what they're going to hit you with. It's just reality. So it doesn't work anymore. And it's what happened to me. I grew up in church. It didn't help that my parents didn't reflect Jesus in their behavior. That didn't work. If that's a Christian, I never want to be one. So that's the first mistake we make. If we're not acting like Jesus, forget it. We're not good witnesses, are we? Grew up in church, did the church thing, didn't understand it. No one explained it to me. No one was able to explain it to me. No one read their Bibles. And so I went to school. And my friends said, no, that's stupid. And look at your parents. They're mean. Doesn't work. Okay. So let me try Buddhism. Let me try Taoism. Let me try witchcraft, Wiccan stuff. Did it all. I fell away. Well, because I was never there to begin with. I didn't understand any of it. I wasn't a Christian. So we have a lot of people calling themselves that, like I was, but they're not. Bad for the brand, as I said. So I fell away. And by the grace of God, I found the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, not the churchianity Jesus, real Christianity. But here's the thing. I want to make a side note because this is, everybody tells you you're like the Apostle Paul, right? But, but you know what? It was for a season and you grew through it and it was okay or whatever. <laughs> okay. Oh, Paul, right? He was like killing Christians. And then, yeah, he, you know, he got, he got saved and then he, yeah, but you know what he did? He wrote 13 books of the Bible. <laughs> he brought untold numbers of people into the faith. So... If you're going to say that was a good thing, well, you better, better bring that many people into the faith, too. Because honestly, it was a very bad thing. And you know what else I was doing? I was telling people that Jesus wasn't real. That's a very bad thing. There's a lot of wreckage in my past that I'm responsible for. That's a horrible thing. I have a lot of making up to do. And that's just me being real with you today. So be careful with that. Oh, it grew you through a season. Yes, yes, both sides of the coin there. Yes and no. Be careful. Because there's a lot of people in there, like kind of putting Jesus on hold over here. I'll get to him when I'm done having a good time. I hope you don't die while you're having a good time. Because then that's it. Careful. Careful with that. If you read the Bible a lot, you know it uses the word immediately a lot. There's this sense of urgency, especially in Jesus' ministry. Watch out. Be alert. Says it a lot. Watch yourself. Be alert immediately. Now. Because we don't know. I could just die right now. That would be pretty cool. Die worshiping Jesus, talking about Jesus. But we just don't know. So be careful. Good side note for you. So here's the first thing. You got to deal with atheists. That's the first thing. People who say there is no God. So here's the stance they're going to take. I'm going to teach you something. Try to make this very simple. And 
If you want, you can always go back and watch this online. It'll be posted on the website and take some notes and things like that. So just pay attention in the moment and then go back. Simple steps. Atheist. The position of the atheist is this, that we are arrogant. That's their position. We're the arrogant ones because we've decisively said that Jesus is it and that there is a God and that's it. We're the only way, so we're so arrogant. We think we know everything. But it's actually the other way around. And I'll show you how to demonstrate that. So you can just get them to imagine a pie chart. Just a circle, but no pies cut out yet. And this circle represents everything that can be known on the planet Earth. Everything. Any kind of bug, animal, all the species, trees, everything on Earth. Including underneath the seas that we haven't explored yet. Then you just ask them, if you had to carve out your piece of pie, that is what you know of everything on the Earth, how big do you think that slice would be? And you'll get like kind of a varying degree. Some people will carve out that or that or that. Me, I'm going to get like the tiniest fine point pen and go like nothing. Ah, interesting. Okay, what about the universe? Remind them. Every one of those stars is a sun. That's what that is. It's a sun, like bigger than ours in a lot of cases. And there's planets flying around them and all this crazy stuff that we really can't explain if we think about it. Billions upon billions upon billions. Now let's go back to the pie chart. We've got a big one now. It represents everything that you could ever know about the entire universe. What do you think you know of it? I'm throwing the pen away. But let them carve out a piece of pie. And you say, you see all that white space there? In that white space is the possibility that there's a God because you don't know everything. And I'm the humble one, because I'm saying, I don't know everything. It's the humble position. That's step one. Then you got to get to this. Okay, maybe there's a God, but why Christianity? Why Jesus? And so you ask a simple question. We've done this before, but it's worth doing a couple times a year. I'd like it for you guys to know this be able to share it with people. You ask them a simple thing. Do you believe that Alexander the Great existed? Everybody's going to say yes. If they say no, end the conversation. <laughs> Forget it. You're not going to convince that person of anything. Yes, okay. Why do you believe in Alexander the Great or that he existed? It's going to boil down to history. It's a historical fact. Well, how do you know that? Well, because of what's written about him in history. Oh, interesting. I know a little about that, so let me help you. Do you know when he died? No, the answer will be no, so just remember 323. 323 BC, that's when he died, June or July. Okay, well, when do you suppose they started writing things about him? Because here's the thing, you're going to trap him. What have you heard about the Bible? It's like a big game of telephone, right? And it's written thousands of years later, and there's way outside the facts. They don't know what they're talking about, so you can't believe the Bible. It's not a historical document. <clears throat> Wrong. I'll get to that in a minute. So you're trapping them. They don't know. They won't know about Life of Alexander by Plutarch. It's written oh, about 400 years after his death. The only thing earlier we have that we can read today, 300 years later, in a library or a book of history. But the best 
attested historical work that we have for Alexander the Great, wrap your minds around this, is 400 years after he's dead. And you are going to implicitly believe that. Amazing. Really? What do we really know? We still can't find his tomb. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay, so you go ahead and believe that. Maybe you're crazy, but I'll tell you why I believe the New Testament, at least, the Bible. Because here, we get witnesses. I want to help you understand what the New Testament is. 27 witnesses. Think about it. Life of Alexander by Plutarch. Not a witness. Not a witness. It's the closest thing they have to what the Gospels are to Jesus, a biography about Alexander. Not a witness. But the New Testament, 27 witnesses, 27 different books. Matthew, new Jesus, witness. Mark, probably a young boy, a witness. Peter stays at his mom's house for a little while after getting broke out of jail by an angel. Read Acts. <laughs> Luke, the physician, traveling companion with the Apostle Paul, interviewed lots of witnesses. John, definitely a witness, an apostle. Acts, a history of the early church. Paul's letters, witness, 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 13 times. James, witness. Peter, witness, clearly. John, witness. Witnesses, that's what they are. They're primary documents. They're written within a witness period, not 400 years later. They're, they're in the witness period. Very close. They are historical gold. They're what's called a primary document. Historians love these. Historians love Paul. Even the ones that don't believe in Jesus. They will tell you Paul was a very real person. Paul the Apostle. He is a historical person. And they'll say the New Testament is history. They don't like all of his letters because they feel that maybe they're not written by him. So don't argue about that. I'll give you one. We're going to boil this all down to one book of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. They love 1 Corinthians, and they love Paul wrote it. And they will tell you, even secular scholars who don't believe in Jesus will accept that as a historical document. They'll tell you Paul's a real guy, and Paul believes what he's saying. And so do the people reading his letter. They all believe it. And now we'll boil it down to one chapter, probably one of the most important chapters on this subject in your entire Bible. If you want to watch a good movie, I don't like a lot of Christian movies because, to be honest, some of them are pretty cheesy, but low budget. But this one is pretty good, Case for Christ, really good. I think it's on Netflix, Case for Christ, I think it's on Netflix, based on a book by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel's a guy who sets out, a lawyer, I believe, to disprove Christianity. He goes and asks around, how do I do this? Well, disprove the resurrection, they're done. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, their faith is worthless. If you take that away, you're done. Lee Strobel went to a bunch of experts. By the time he's done, he's a Christian. Because <laughs> based on the historical facts, it's bulletproof. It's unbelievable. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul defends the resurrection and says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is meaningless. Jesus rose from the dead. And here's the thing, though. Remember, primary document, 
by a witness. And here's what happens. He goes through the basic facts of the gospel. You don't believe me. Jesus appeared in a resurrected form to 500 people. Some of them are still alive today, basically. Go ask them. To Peter and the other apostles, go ask them. He's challenging them. Tons of people witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. Go ask them. So it's a primary document, witnesses calling out other witnesses. We have nothing, nothing like this. Nothing for that portion of history, for that time in history. And in volume, in the Greek alone, we have 5,000, over 5,800 copies of the New Testament. Some fragmentary, I know, but still. Other works of that time? The most, Homer's Iliad, 643, I think, copies. Not even close. And then it drops right down. Aristotle, 47. Plato, 7. In very low volume. And the earliest copies we have, they're written about 1,200 years later. It's amazing. It is an amazing historical document. That's what you tell them. So if you believe in all this stuff your teachers are telling you, you have 5,800 more reasons <laughs> to believe in Jesus. It has a much greater historical value. Here's the other thing. Other worldviews, they're all based on someone else's claim. Like just take Islam for a second. Muhammad goes off somewhere, says he has a revelation, and just goes and tells everybody. Kills lots of people too. Jesus didn't do that. Christianity is the opposite. All other worldviews are like that. You have to trust someone's just opinion or truth, a truth claim, they call it. Christianity, totally different. Jesus just goes around doing stuff, healing people, raising them from the dead, crazy stuff. And all these people are witnessing it and writing about it. 27 witnesses, and that doesn't include other historians. Outside of the Bible, historians are writing about it, saying, whoa, this is crazy. Guy rose from the dead. Okay. It's the only worldview that does that. doesn't rely on just believing someone implicitly. So now you see where this really smart kid is getting? You have a lot of faith, a lot more than me, if you believe that stuff. Because you've got some pretty bad historical writings, not a lot of evidence. Okay, so I'm the crazy one now. Because I got a lot of evidence, not to mention the relationship I have with him. And you can get there later. This is the basic stuff. Here's the other thing it's worth believing. It's worth believing. I'm going to say something crass, but someone said this to me very early on in my walk, questioning, okay, atheist or whatever, if you're right, I just died and I was just trying to be a really good person my whole life. Maybe I'll be well-remembered. But if I'm right, you're screwed. Think about it. It's worth believing. But here's the other thing. It really did happen. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 2 because he knows there's unbelievers. And they're saying it's foolish. This idea of a God. Remember, it's a Roman Greco world. Their gods are different. A God dying for us? The earliest graffiti that we have 
It's like Alex's, it's, the, the name is very complicated. So it would be Alexander's God. It says on a wall. He found it on a wall. And it's a man's body being crucified with the head of a donkey. They thought it was stupid. What? Why would God come down here and die? What is the point of that? Well, it's a very good point. Our God wouldn't ask us to do anything he wouldn't do himself. That's the point. It's also the greatest act of love ever, sacrificing himself for us. No other God did that because there is no other God. That's it. It's crazy love. It's a crazy story. We serve a God who died for us then rose from the dead so that we can rise from the dead too and be with him in eternal glory. That sounds wonderful. Find me another worldview where you can do that, where your God's willing to wash feet. Jesus did that. That's crazy love. Crazy, crazy love. And here's the thing as we close. We are to reflect it. We are to reflect it at all times. Let's read the rest of those verses. 1 Peter 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Here's the verse people don't get to. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Maybe you've got to hang on that. But do this by posting a bunch of expletives on Facebook or being rude or passive-aggressive. Do this, explain why you believe in Jesus, but make sure you do it passive-aggressively. Do it passive-aggressively. No. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Posts should bother you. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. Because you belong to Christ, example, kindness and example. Because God knows that you never, ever win people to the faith with hate. It's not going to work. So if you really care, you're going to do it with kindness, attraction, not Promotion, not division, not anger, not hate. There's another quick one I'll give you. Another quick one. People will say, oh, but Jesus, he cleansed the temple. He chased people out of the whip. Okay, thing one, you're not Jesus. Second of all, he's always mean to the religious hypocrites. It's the equivalent of me getting up here and calling out false teachers. My job, though, that's my job. And I'm not God. Also, you have to look at the Old Testament and the Gospels through the lens of how Paul explains it. And Paul says that hate and anger is no good. Don't let the sun go down on that. That's a warning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because it's going to cause you to sin. That's what it says. So watch that anger. Let Jesus clear the temple. Not your job. So careful with that one. 
This is what it really says. And you can check it, Galatians. Don't believe me. Galatians 5. Paul talks about being ruled by the flesh. No good. Never good. That's anger. All bad stuff. Anger, division, hate. All that stuff. That's flesh. So you can tell when someone's working for God or working for the enemy by their delivery system. When it's knowingly causing division... It's from the enemy, and that person's working for the enemy, not God. But, he says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. That is how you know the person's working for God and not the devil. Even the church has too many wolves in sheep's clothing in it. Anyone causing division, spreading fear, anger, get out. It's no good for the brand. We have to do this with love. You can have all the head knowledge you want, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. So as we turn the corner on a new year, let's make our battle cry for Christ with love. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for everyone who came out today as we continue to celebrate Christ in our lives. It doesn't end on a holiday that somebody else tells us to celebrate. It begins Every morning when you give us breath in our lungs, we thank you for it. We appreciate you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. And we're going to use that breath to proclaim your glory, your gospel message with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.